You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. This campaign season, our leading political candidates have indicated that they want to make some game-changing investments in infrastructure. In a nation that seems deeply divided on so many fundamental issues, the need for large investments in infrastructure is seemingly one place where we have a national consensus. At Strong Towns, we understand that America's approach to growth and development is bankrupting our cities. And this begs the question, if we're committed to spending more money on infrastructure, how do we do it in a way that actually makes us better off? Today, we're really honored to explore that question a little more deeply with the former Transportation Secretary of the United States, Ray LaHood. Mr. Secretary, welcome to Strong Towns. Thank you. Good to be with you. You were a Republican representative from Illinois before becoming the Transportation Secretary in a Democratic administration. And you wrote a book called Seeking Bipartisanship, My Life in Politics. I'd like to start off by giving you an opportunity to talk about how investments in infrastructure are a bipartisan undertaking. Infrastructure uh, in our country has always been bipartisan. Uh, There really are no Republican or Democratic roads or Republican or Democratic bridges. Uh, The greatest, uh, for me, the the best illustration of that is during the time that I served in Congress uh, in the mid-90s and early 2000, I was on the Transportation Committee. We passed two bipartisan uh, multi-year, multi-funded transportation bills with Bill Clinton in the White House and Newt Gingrich in the Speaker's uh, office. And it was done in a very bipartisan way. And it was done in a way that really reflected the idea that infrastructure, roads, bridges, transit uh, are really job-creating kinds of opportunities in our country and economic development opportunities in our country, uh, and that if you really want to move the economy, if you want to put people to work, invest in infrastructure because you're investing in Americans, and you're investing in the American economic system, uh, and you're investing in opportunities for economic growth. That's really what we uh, we're able to accomplish during our time in Congress, and frankly, we're able to accomplish during our time as Secretary of Transportation, always working in a bipartisan way with Congress, uh, with our partners, the governors, with mayors, and really improving infrastructure. Both of our presidential candidates are recommending a large surge in federal infrastructure spending. What What's your immediate reaction to that? I'm guessing you think that's a good idea. Can you elaborate a little bit? I I think the kind of investments that both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump want to make in infrastructure is a signal that they they get it when it comes to infrastructure in terms of jobs, in terms of investing in America, in terms of the fact that uh, we have an aging interstate system, uh, we have 50 to 60 to 70-year-old transit systems all over America that need new cars and new infrastructure. The one fault that I find with with both of their uh, proposals is how to pay for it, how to really make huge investments, because my my belief is is that we have to raise the gas tax, which is the pot of money that built America. 
the gas tax hasn't been raised to replenish the highway trust fund since 1993. That's over uh, two decades, and uh, everything has gone up over two decades except the gas tax. We need to replenish the highway trust fund if we're really going to get serious about funding big projects in America uh, the way that uh, historically we've done. We we funded the interstate system over 50 years using the 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 resources of the highway trust fund. We funded transit systems around America. That fund is is broke, and as a result, America has ended up as kind of a third world infrastructure country and we need we need big big resources we need money we need a big pot of money uh, to get back to being number one in infrastructure i want to ask you how you would go about distributing the money let's say that congress did appropriate a trillion dollars and i'd like to chat about how we fund that in a bit but let, let's just say they come up with the money <laughs> something besides pension smoothing to make that happen. What do you think the best way to get the biggest bang for our buck on that spending is? How would that be distributed out? Well, we've had a long, long, rich history in America of uh, the federal government working with the state governments, working with the governors. Every state has a state DOT. Every state has full-time people that uh, work every day in trying to improve transportation infrastructure. Most cities have transit systems uh, that run their buses or run their streetcars or run their light rail. Most big metropolitan areas and cities have airports. And so what you do is what we did during our four and a half years at DOT. We make good partners with governors, with state DOTs, with airport authorities, with transit systems, uh, with mayors all over America. The, the incubators for creativity and the incubators for new thinking and transportation are in the cities and in the states. And this is where the action is happening. It's not happening in Washington, D.C. The way that you develop and and redevelop the kind of uh, infrastructure is uh, through the great partnerships that the federal government has had uh, with governors, with state DOTs, with mayors, with transit systems, with airports. And uh, it works very, very well. One of the things that we've observed here at Strong Towns is that a lot of times when the federal government funds major infrastructure projects, it's a very enticing thing for a local government. The federal government might pay 90% of the cost and you've got to come up with a, a small match. But a lot of times then, a generation down the road, the maintenance of it is solely a, a local responsibility. What What is the kind of shift to maintenance and how do we keep these local governments from being swamped with these long-term maintenance obligations? Well, what's happened in America as a result of the fact that there, the resources, the money is not there at the federal level, governors in more than 20 states and legislatures in more than 20 states have taken upon themselves to raise their own gas tax. Most of that money goes to maintain roads and bridges, to fix up roads and bridges. Cities also have taken it upon themselves to put on the ballot referendums, raising the sales tax in cities 
almost all of that money goes to infrastructure again because cities are cash strapped so between 20 uh, more than 20 states that have raised their their own gas tax cities that have raised their sales tax local elected officials whether they be mayors or county commissioners and then of course at the state level uh, governors and state legislatures have raised their own revenue. They're not. They're not sitting around waiting for the federal government to provide the money, because the federal government has no money, and there is no plan to to raise the kind of money that's necessary to be helpful to cities and and counties and in uh, states. And so uh, they they've taken on the leadership of doing it on their own, and they've been very successful. As I said, over 20 states have raised their own gas tax. Cities all over America are raising sales tax, a penny or two pennies, and you can raise a lot of money, and they devote that then to infrastructure and putting friends and neighbors to work building it, rebuilding it, and uh, and, and building these economic corridors all over the all over the communities. Last summer, I was able to talk to Paul Trombino. He's the head of the Department of Transportation in Iowa. And one of the fascinating things he said was that th- their system in Iowa is too big. He said, we, we have too many highways, too many bridges, and we actually need to get rid of some because not all of them are, are productive or needed. What is that conversation like in the context of a surge in infrastructure spending? Are, are we... I want to kind of get to the point of making hard decisions. Are we going to be investing that money in the best way possible uh, if we've got DOT commissioners saying things like, our system actually needs to shrink a little bit? Well, I think that's the beauty of the American system, that these decisions are not made in Washington, that these decisions for uh, what gets funded, what doesn't get funded, they're made in the states and they're made in the cities. They're made by local elected officials. They're made by officials that are elected in states, whether they be governors, state legislators who are elected by the people or mayors, uh, city councils, uh, county commissioners. They're making the decisions about uh, how to fund infrastructure. These decisions are almost always good decisions because uh, they're based locally. Uh, they don't come from on high. Uh, they're based on what resources are available. They're based on what the needs are. And if, um, you know, a state decides that uh, they need to put their limited resources in a much more limited infrastructure, th- they can do that if they want to do it. One of the things that we've seen, and I think the Safe Routes to School program tries to get at this a little bit, but of course, you know, has, has very limited resources compared to the rest of what we spend on transportation. One of the things we see is that a lot of the best investments today in our cities are, are very, very small. Things like fixing sidewalks and putting in crosswalks and, and good street lighting. Those things are hard to fund at the federal level. Is there a role for the federal government in those kind of things? And, and what does that do to the, the overall system to have the federal government funding stuff that is very hyper-local? When we came into our job at DOT, uh, the president was able to persuade Congress to pass an economic stimulus bill, $870 billion, of which $48 billion came to the Department of Transportation. And we developed a program called the Tiger Program. 
This is an innovative program that allows innovative approaches in communities to come directly to DOT for money. They don't have to go to their legislature. If if a community, uh, say like in Indianapolis or other communities, decides they want to have safe routes to school, or they want a streetcar, or they want new buses, or they want light rail, they can come directly to DOT, apply for the Tiger money, uh, which now is in the in the amount of about. Uh, $500 million uh, total each year, and they can do innovative, creative things. I go back to the point I made earlier. Cities are the incubators. Uh, Cities are where innovative, creative approaches to transportation are really taking place. Safe Routes to School is a program that's been implemented in many places in America, not because the federal government said so, but because local mayors and city councils and citizens decided this is what they wanted. And they were able to tap into the TIGER program because they were taking an innovative approach uh, to transportation, which is true of streetcars around America, uh, bike share around America, walking and biking paths. These are the innovative, creative approaches that cities are taking uh, to improve transportation and and be creative about it. Uh, Use some local money, but also uh, use some uh, tiger money to make it happen. What kind of projects would you like to see funded with a surge in infrastructure spending? You you know, there's been a a lot of debate lately about the the value of the mega project. We've got the boring machine in Seattle that is on again, off again. And there's been a recent book about mega projects I'm wondering what the balance is from your perspective between the the large, new, game-changing kind of things and the more mundane maintenance uh, kind of stuff that that is maybe a little less glamorous. I think what we see are that uh, the young people coming out of college want to move back to the cities like Chicago and Philly and and, uh, Denver and the bigger uh, urban areas. And frankly, they don't want an automobile, so what they want are alternative forms of transportation. That's where we get to this idea. In order to develop livable and sustainable communities, you have to have multimodal transportation whether it be light rail or streetcars or buses or walking and biking paths, bike share, other kinds of uh, opportunities for people who want to live in the cities but don't necessarily uh, want to live in the congestion that uh, they have to live with if they if they own an automobile, which many do not want to do. And so that's why you see the, the most innovative, creative approaches to transportation taking place uh, in Chicago, in Philly, in Denver, uh, in Washington, D.C., in New York, where bike share is being developed, streetcars are being developed, more buses are being developed. And this is the way of the future right now. You talked a little bit about states being laboratories and, and cities and mayors having good ideas and doing things a little bit differently. In an ideal world, if the federal government is distributing money down to, to states and to mayors, what kind of strings are attached to that? Is, is that something that's pretty string-free, or is that is there a role for the federal government in ensuring that the money's spent a, a certain way? There has to be a mix. 
we can't give up on our interstate system. We have the best interstate system in the world. We have to maintain it. We're not going to be building any more interstates. We, we've built out our interstate system, but we have to maintain it. What we really have to do is uh, say to the governors and to the mayors and uh, to those that are uh, interested in transportation innovation and transportation creativity, and uh, what we have to say to them is there has to be a pot of money for the big infrastructure uh, to fix up these aging bridges. There's now 58,000 structurally deficient bridges in America, they need attention. So there has to be a pot of money for that. But there can also be a pot of money for other creative, innovative things. You can do both. And uh, that's really what we did while we were at DOT in terms of the leadership that we provided uh, with governors, with mayors, with county commissioners, with transportation experts, and uh, and, and we made a difference. So you can do both, and we have to do both, uh, because we we are a country of big infrastructure. And we can't give up on that, but we also can't neglect this idea that um, creative, innovative, new approaches to transportation are taking place all over America. Where do you think the best innovation is happening right now? In the cities, I look at Chicago and I see what's happened along the Riverwalk where Mayor Emanuel was able to get money from the U.S. DOT and transform the Chicago River uh, now into uh, a whole series of restaurants and walking uh, ability to really take advantage of the Chicago River. I look at uh, Denver and what Hickenlooper did while he was mayor with fast tracks. I look in Minneapolis. I look in Detroit where they're putting a streetcar down Woodward Avenue, but the community invested $100 million and we invested uh, millions of dollars and they're going to have one of the best bus rapid transit systems with a streetcar. Hundreds of young people are moving into Detroit now. It takes a mix of, of, of private dollars, foundation money, federal money, state money, and uh, it takes real leadership of the entire community to come together to say, we want a mix of transportation. But the innovation that's taking place in America is not taking place in Washington. It's taking place in the cities, big and small. I want to talk about funding a little bit, but before we do that, I, I know you've been an advocate for high-speed rail. I want to give you an opportunity to make the case on why that is a, a good investment for the country. Well, high-speed rail is the next generation of transportation. Transportation and infrastructure is about the next generation. It's not about Rayla Hood. It's not about my generation. It's about the next generation. Every generation has left the next generation the next generation of transportation. We can't build any more interstates. What we can do, though, is we can build rail. The Amtrak trains that leave Washington every day are completely full. They're full of people that are working on the train. They're, they're on their cell phones. They're on their iPads. They're on their laptops. They work all the way to New York or Boston. The high-speed rail that will, is being developed in California uh, some of which was started with uh, federal dollars, will be a 200-mile-an-hour train. It will be true high-speed rail. Private investment, public investment, mainly because of the leadership of Governor Brown and his team, they've, they've decided that 
They're going to build high-speed rail to unclog their highways, to get people out of cars and to safe transportation uh, along the uh, I-55 corridor between Chicago and St. Louis. Trains are now going 110 miles an hour with stops all along these college towns. So the train in Illinois delivers college students from the suburban part of Chicago and Chicago to normal Illinois, where there's 40,000 students. Champaign, Illinois, where there's 60,000 students, and all the way to southern Illinois and all the way to St. Louis. So the trains are the next generation of transportation for the next generation for people who don't want a car, for people who want to get out of congestion, for people who uh, simply want to get from point A to point B in a comfortable, affordable uh, train. People love trains. And so we're not going to be connected the way that Europe is connected, but we are going to have connectivity with trains. Uh, not not really because Ray LaHood wants it, but because uh, the governors in these states have made a commitment uh, with uh, local dollars, with state dollars, with federal dollars to make it happen. I watched the last transportation bill get approved, and it was this potpourri of funding options, you know, the, the pension smoothing and selling oil out of the strategic reserve and, and taking money from the Fed, excess funds. What was your reaction to that bill? And, you know, why is this so hard? Uh, it's hard because politicians don't uh, want to raise the gas tax, which was the big pot of money that built America. That's what we need to get back to. The gas tax has not been raised to replenish the Highway Trust Fund uh, since 1993. That's more than 20 years, more than two decades. You know, this, this potpourri of um, trying to grab money here and there is not going to get us where we need to be in terms of our ability to improve infrastructure, to expand, to build on, uh, to really uh, move forward with infrastructure. You know, the idea that Congress passed a bipartisan uh, bill uh, a few years ago is fine. And But look, at here. here's the reality of it. It's a five-year bill only funded for three years. And it's only funded at $300 billion. That gets us nowhere in terms of our ability to really do innovative, creative things. It maintains the status quo. That's simply what it does. And uh, until we get serious about the idea of really raising the kind of revenue that gets us back into serious infrastructure uh, development, serious infrastructure improvements, uh, we're going to continue to maintain the status quo. I've read through the American Society of Civil Engineers projections for how much transportation funding is needed for, for maintenance and then also to make some strategic investments. In Congress, we're talking politically of nickels and dimes and like the really crazy radicals are talking 20 cents, 25 cents. But to meet these estimates from ASCE, we're talking 75 cents a gallon, a dollar a gallon. What if this money is just not going to materialize? What, what, what do we do at that point? Uh, continue to muddle along and uh, see more bridges go on the structurally deficient list. Uh, see our interstates uh, continue to crumble. 
see um, local and state governments uh, raise their own revenue through the increase in sales tax or increase in their own gas tax. If there's not a national commitment, uh, which there should be, which is what built America, which is what built the interstate, uh, then you'll you'll continue to see uh, local mayors, county commissioners, governors, state legislators uh, raise their own money in order to continue to try and make progress in their cities and their states. I'm just wondering about the notion of triage. I'm from Minnesota. We had the bridge fall down. It was a, a horrible tragedy. When we step back and we look at the number of bridges that we have to maintain, it seems like an amount that is not going to be possible. Even with a bipartisan consensus, we're still not funding anywhere near where we would need to be. I guess I've got two questions. You know, Have we overbuilt? And is that going to require us to triage a system in a really kind of difficult conversation kind of a way? Well, that's what we're doing now, basically. We are triaging. We're going to the places where we know that a bridge is uh, unsafe and uh, putting duct tape and Band-Aids and other things to to try and hold it up uh, when we probably should be replacing a lot of these bridges. But it's very, very costly to replace uh, 57,000 bridges. And not that all 57,000 need to be replaced, but they need to be in a better state of repair. So we're doing the triage now because there, you know, there is no money to do the major surgery, so to speak. Policy people tend to dislike the gas tax and favor something like the mileage tax that would have more feedback. You know, Americans, we're human. Uh, we would all like more than what we're willing to pay for. And the gas tax seems to provide kind of a conduit to do that, at least in the short term. Are we just going to be stuck with a gas tax for political reasons? Is is there any chance that a mileage tax or, or something that would be a more f- responsive type of pay-as-you-go system, is that a, just an impossibility from a political standpoint? I think the gas tax is uh, an example where if you have the the kind of big pot of money that we once had in America, you can really make a difference. I also think that we've used that pot of money very, very effectively, and we should give up on it. Uh, the problem is that politicians don't want to uh, raise the gas tax. Vehicle miles traveled uh, is is something that's being tried in an experimental way in several places around the country, and we'll see what the results are. But my my notion is when you have 57,000 structurally deficient bridges in an interstate that's crumbling and 50- and 60-year-old transit systems that all need new equipment, new infrastructure, tolling and vehicle miles traveled, public-private partnerships, all of which I agree with, all of which can provide some funding, are inadequate to meet the overwhelming critical needs of infrastructure that America's facing today. You've been very generous with your time, and you have always done that. Uh, I think one of the things that transportation advocates have, have always appreciated about you is how accessible you've been, you know, both in person and uh, online, and, and you've got a Twitter handle that you're pretty active in. 
I know people would like to know, you know, what's Ray LaHood up to these days? What are you doing now? You know, where can people, if they're interested in getting a hold of you, where can they look for your work? Well, I'm I'm one of the co-chairs of Building America's Future, which is funded by uh, by Mike Bloomberg and his uh, foundation. The co-chairs of that are Mayor Bloomberg and Governor Rendell, the former governor of Pennsylvania, and myself. And what we do, there's no compensation involved, but we travel around the country and we promote infrastructure and we promote creative, innovative approaches. So I'm doing that. I'm doing some speaking uh, on infrastructure, trying to promote it, trying to promote my idea of the, of the big pot of money, so to speak, and replenishing it and increasing the gas tax and indexing it and so forth. And uh, trying to stir up the creative juices of of the American people to persuade them that we need some leadership to get the funding for infrastructure. I'm doing some consulting at a firm, DLA Piper, which is a law firm. And even though I'm not a lawyer, I'm a policy advisor here. So I'm doing some policy advising on infrastructure to, to some folks. And, um, when we have these opportunities to continue to promote infrastructure and promote funding infrastructure, um, we've continued to do that for four years because uh, we think uh, eventually uh, when when we get people in office um, with a, a vision and leadership and courage, perhaps we will have the resources to address some of these critical problems. Secretary Ray LaHood, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Happy to do it. Thank you. You take care. Take care. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Keep doing what you can to build Strong Towns. We need your help. If you think the Strong Towns message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org. Drastic times require what? Drastic measures, yes! Who said that? They know that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's a story. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Who made the city? I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit, Agenda 21. Yeah.